Hi, and welcome back to Bible Braced. Hi. <laughs> oh, man. It is a lovely, lovely day in January. We hope you guys have had a great holiday season and that life is getting back to a little bit of some normalcy. You're getting to get caught up on laundry Boo. and dishes and <laughs> all the things. It went by too fast for and me. sleep. Yeah, it did go by very fast. But hopefully you guys have enjoyed it and it's been a restful season despite how loud and busy and chaotic it probably was. And we did have um, an episode on being still and knowing God and taking time to do that in a busy season. And then we had an episode last week on just resetting and pondering the path of life as we learned from Proverbs and how to just set some spiritual goals for the month of January heading into the new year. And just praying through that and spending some time in scripture regarding seeking godly wisdom. So hopefully, if you missed that the last couple of weeks, you'll have some episodes to go back and listen to. And hopefully that'll be an encouragement for you as you prepare for January and the new year. So happy new year. Happy new year. <laughs> it's been, you know. Uh, not quite a full week, but it feels like it's been a full week already. I feel like we're halfway through January already. I know. It's weird. I don't know what it is about the first few days of January, but they they go fast. They're very tricky. <laughs> it doesn't feel like Sunday was still December to me. No. Yeah. That's definitely true. And November went by really quickly too. So I guess we're just going 500 miles an hour and that's just how it is now. But we actually are starting a new series, which you would have seen from our episode title. So that's kind of exciting. So we are starting a series on discipleship. And, you know, it's been um, something God's really used powerfully in my life over the years. I know he's used it powerfully in Emily's life. Um, And, you know, it's something we're all called to do. You know, we're all called to make disciples. And I think that it's easy for us when we're in a different season of life or things are crazy or we don't have a lot of time or money or we don't know what our gifting is. Like there are a lot of reasons why we don't engage in discipleship, right? Maybe our church isn't one that's very invested in discipleship or we don't know how to do it. Or I feel like as a Western culture in the church, I think discipleship's getting a comeback. People are starting to want it. They're starting to recognize its value and they're trying to pursue it in ways that they know how. But it definitely has not been something that most of us were raised participating in, even those of us that are young. And so discipleship has been kind of a a hot topic, I think, over the last several years that I've noticed as an adult and serving in ministry. And it's been something God's really worked in my heart about and really broken open my preconceived ideas about what discipleship is, what it's for, how you can be effective and participate in it kind of a lot of stuff. And um, would you say you've gone through a similar, Emily, or do you like, what do you think about discipleship now versus what you thought about it maybe growing up or when you were younger in the faith? Mm. I think whenever I was younger, I probably thought of discipleship more as like Jesus and the disciples is what would come to mind, which isn't, I mean, it's not wrong, but like, right. It's pretty much the ultimate examples. So. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like it's uh, following in Jesus's footsteps of being a discipler Um I mean, obviously, he's our ultimate example. And I think um, the last few years for me, it's been kind of, well, last few years, it's been longer than I realized. <laughs> like two years ago, I was a freshman in college. That was actually like eight years ago. So. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think just the last several years, let's put it that way, I've been like able to take some counseling classes and that really closely ties in with discipleship Mm -hmm. and um, biblical counseling does and well i guess any counseling because you're teaching and you're guiding people in that way but maybe it's not the way that god would have you to do it that's just what i meant by that but yeah it is good to have godly counselors and i mean like there are bad disciples (laughs) you know like there's bad disciplers and uh We should not be like that. But I think the whole point of being a good counselor is knowing the Bible well and um, loving God and loving his people and just like how that plays out is according to God's word. And he has a lot lot to say about that. And so Mm -hmm. it's a cool topic. It's very exciting. And I think the biggest probably 
mind-blowing f- concept regarding discipleship I've learned over the years has been that discipleship is supposed to be something everyone is engaging with from the point mm-hmm. of salvation onward. And for some of us, even prior to salvation, because that is potentially how we became saved was through a discipleship relationship. And so I think that was something I didn't really understand. When I would think about discipleship, I would think about one day when I'm spiritually mature enough, I will be able to be in a position where I can engage in discipleship. Or one day when I'm older or when I get married or when I have kids or if I ever am called to this kind of leadership position or something like that, then Mm -hmm. I can engage in discipleship. And I think for me, it was a very mind-blowing, eye-opening experience to recognize that we are all called to discipleship and that we all are supposed to be actively participating in it. And to see discipleship not as like higher education, where Mm -hmm. once you pass high school and college, you are able to finally, you know, study for your undergrad or teach at a college level. But instead, that discipleship is education. And so from you as a tiny little baby learning your first words and learning how to walk all the way up to getting your second or fifth PhD or whatever, that's all education. But what you are learning and how you're applying it differs depending on your developmental level and those around you who are able to invest in you. And so it's discipleship is the actual process of teaching another person how to live, right? And from a biblical perspective, we're teaching them how to live in a way that honors Christ and that makes them more like Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so everyone needs to be engaged in discipleship from the smallest little infant Christian all the way up to the seasoned, um, you know, missionary who's planted 17 churches. Everyone needs to be engaged in discipleship. They need to be pouring into others. They need to be poured into themselves. And I think that's really cool when you see that and when you start to recognize it in scripture. And you're not going to feel like there's not going to be some moment when you when you wake up and you're like, aha, I am now ready to disciple, you know, (laughs) hear a bell go off. I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) I've arrived. (laughs) But it's I think it's more just like Titus two principles, right? Like you always have somebody younger in the faith than you and you can help them out. Yeah. Like whatever level you're at. Yeah. um, Which is cool. So are you engaged in discipleship? And if you are right now, think in your mind, who is mentoring you? So think about that person's name, or maybe it's more than one person. And who are you mentoring? Who are you pouring into and investing in spiritually? And hopefully there's more than one person's name for that too. And if you are coming up blank on one or both of those, then you've got some praying and some seeking to do because God desires for you to be engaged in biblical discipleship. Now, it's not always going to look the way that you think it might look, right? Um, Like for myself, I have had seasons where I have had older women in the faith who were able to really invest in me intentionally. I've had a lot of seasons where I didn't. I've had places I've been a part of in ministry where I was kind of burdened to be the catalyst for a discipleship movement. And that was something God was working in my heart to bring about where you're, you're part of the change. And so by you investing in younger people and pouring into them and loving them, and then they are investing in younger people than them, like you're starting that movement. And sometimes you are the one who starts it and God is honored by that. And he will pour into you and be your discipler through that process. But ideally you're able to find somebody who is a little bit further along in your journey and has more wisdom and godly wisdom for you that can intentionally engage with you on a more um, consistent level to be ministering to you. And this doesn't have to look like a structured formal thing. This can look like really good friends and you talk to them about decisions you're making and prayer requests you have. And, you know, you ask them for godly wisdom regarding decisions you're making and that's discipleship. Like that's what that looks like. But we're going to talk about how we cultivate those relationships and that um, they're really supposed to be for the purpose of redemption in our lives and in other lives. And so just how do we cultivate redemptive relationships, whether that's your unsaved neighbor or it's your little kid's friend, best friend's mom, you know, that you see for a play date every week, or it's your unsaved child or your, you know, backslidden sister, like whatever this looks like, you are prayerfully adopting a discipleship 
mindset regarding that person and you're starting to invest in them intentionally. And that, you know, really redemptive relationships or discipleship is really about taking someone where they're at and prayerfully investing in them biblically so that they are able to take that next step spiritually in their journey. And so whatever that looks like, right? It could be salvation, could be just baptism, it could be whatever, right? And so as you are prayerfully engaging in that, um, we are going to talk about that over the next several weeks. What does it look like? What does the Bible say about discipleship? Let's hopefully smash some inaccurate preconceived notions that we all have regarding these things. Let's get back to basics, back to scripture and God's word. And ultimately let's engage in obedience and discipleship in the circles God's put us in with the relationships that we have. And I have to say as women, I think that we are very powerfully used in discipleship relationships because as women, we're for very, good or e- for evil. <laughs> that's true. Actually, we can be a very negative force. Yeah, I wasn't joking. <laughs> no, that's true. And I, I think that we have great ability and opportunity to build strong relationships and to do it quickly. You know, we are very relational people for the most part. And um, this isn't about being introverted or extroverted. This isn't about your personality. This is just like as a woman, we have gifting towards community, mm-hmm. gifting towards relationships. And we value relationships a lot higher than our male counterparts a lot of times. And I think God has gifted us too in sometimes noticing when things are off where yeah. um, a man won't always notice. And I mean, he'll notice stuff in a different way that we're not going to notice. You yeah. Know? We have different gifting. Yeah. yeah. It's not that men are dumb or anything. It's just women seem, it's like we have a different sense to those things. And yeah. I think that's God given. Yeah. We're interested in different things. Like mm-hmm. you take two different people, one's male, one's female, even though they have very different personalities from others of their gender, maybe they have different careers, maybe they have different backgrounds. Women really enjoy a lot of, like for the most part, women really enjoy a story. You know, they can kind of get typecasted into always liking romantic comedies or romance or something like that. And I think most women do enjoy a romantic story because they like to see that happy ending, you know, but really like at the end of the day, I think we're, we're compelled by a narrative. Like we want to know what's happening with someone, you know? And that's why I think women tend to struggle with gossip a little bit is I think we, we want to know, we want to know what's going on in that person's life. We want to know what happened. And I even don't if you don't know the person in question, right. like, tell me, right. <laughs> tell me about that person. And like, I think it can be very negative and it can be very yeah. used of Satan, honestly. Um, and we in our flesh can definitely get involved in For sure. conversations and those stories that we tell. But I think that it comes from a deep rooted God given desire to know how people are doing and to be there like we're helpers. And our in our basic nature, this is how God made us. We're counterparts. We're we are to come alongside and to aid, and we want to know what's going on so we can do that. And so I think as women, we need to take the positives of what God's given us, and we need to hone those skills and use them for His glory in discipleship relationships. Most women who are married and have young kids are not going to be able to sit down and have a formal Bible study for several hours every week until maybe their kids are older and they're in a place where they're able to do something like that. Um, but maybe even then, if you, depending on your ministry burden in the church and how your kids are, if you have kids with special needs, or if you and your husband, you know, having a difficult patch or whatever, you might still not be able to do something like that, right? Consistently. However, we have a great opportunity in our homes and in our daily tasks and our weekly tasks to build relationship. I mean, think about women for the last thousands of years, they would go to the well together to gather water. They would, you know, take things to the market together. They would buy They would go grocery shopping together is what we would call it in a modern context. They would wash their clothes together and the local river, you know, they would, they would do these things together. When a woman was having a child, who would show up to help her have a baby? It would be all the women of the neighborhood, you know, that would come in to help her have that baby. Women tend to be very relational and it's a good thing. So how can we utilize the daily tasks that we have to accomplish, our burdens, our callings? How can we turn those to redemptive opportunities? We are becoming a a culture that is not social. Everything's online, right? We're a very virtual culture. We order our groceries delivered to our door. You know, we we have uh, dishwashers and washing machines that can do our laundry and our dishes. Like, we're not 
built to have the same opportunity for human contact the way other cultures and civilizations do and did. So we have to be more intentional to engage with those around us. But engage we must because we're called to be women who honor God by how we participate in discipleship. And that can look different, like you're saying, based upon personality and interests yeah. and, you know, just what your natural tendency is. Um, but, I mean, if you are extremely introverted, that doesn't give you an out, you know. Like, no, I'm sorry, not. but yeah. it does not. Because <laughs> I think we all have to battle that to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just God can use you even with things like that. You know, yeah. he, he's not handicapped by that. So and I have to say that it's a it's an encouragement and a blessing when you start to be obedient to what God's called you to do. To see fruit of that is amazing because you're doing what you were called to do. And I totally agree that a lot of people will look at someone who is engaging in discipleship relationships and they'll say, oh, it must be easy for them. Or, oh, they must just be a people person or they're just very extroverted. Um, you know, there's actually some interesting studies out about how, like as a culture, we're becoming more introverted because of our virtual world and living on our phones and everything. Um, and we're just not the kind of societal people that we used to be, you know, and mm-hmm. so there's a tendency towards that, which I think checks out because everything online, it seems like, is about how people all feel like they are individually not neurotypical mm-hmm. and they are the exception to like how society needs to act. You know, they're the ones that need to be able to stay home and not do anything or not have contact with individuals or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, guys, we're, we're creating this a little bit. Like there are personalities for sure that tend to be more quiet and inward than their personalities that tend to be more loud and outward. But as a society, we have definitely adopted habits that tend us towards introversion. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that's bad necessarily because there are people who are naturally introverts that are born that way. It's one of the gifts and personalities God gives. But I think that it can be an excuse for not engaging in biblical community the way God has called us yeah. to. And I have to say that as um, there are four of us sisters in our family, and out of all four of us, I probably am the most extroverted. Out I'd of all say four probably, of us. yeah, yeah, probably. I mean, one depending on what you, um, how much you buy into it and stuff. There's 16 personalities. It's kind of a famous personality test you can take online. It's pretty involved, and it tends to have results that are people feel like are accurate when they read through them. They're like, this kind of describes me, you know, my way of thinking or whatever. And it will judge you based on your responses. It will give you a percentage of how introverted or extroverted you are. And I'm like kind of right in the middle. I'm like 52 or 55% extroverted. So I'm close to being introverted. And, but I am a little bit more extroverted than most of my, like most of my family, I would even say most of us tend toward introversion, which is funny because we're a loud, boisterous family and we're a big family, but that doesn't mean that we have different, you know, it doesn't mean that we aren't introverted naturally as our personalities. But I think that what's been encouraging for me is like one of our sisters is like 98% introverted based on this test. (laughs) But she is still called to engage in in discipleship. She's still called to build godly relationships. She's still called to get out of her comfort zone, to talk to people, to make connections, to invest in others spiritually, and to allow herself to be invested in spiritually, to be vulnerable, to confess sin, to be able to um, come alongside someone who's hurting and help them take that next step. Mm-hmm. Now, does this look the same for her as it does for me? No, it looks very different because I have different gifting than she does and she has different gifting than I do. And so it's possible for you to be obedient with the personality God has given you. Mm-hmm. And I'm really thankful for that because if that wasn't the case, then we would just be like, oh God, why are you telling me to do this if there's no way for me to do it, right? Yeah. But if you were telling yourself you can't do it because of X, Y, Z, you are lying to yourself. And so just know that like God has made a way for you to be obedient to him. It doesn't matter what your personality is. It doesn't matter what your gifting is. It doesn't matter your background or your struggles. You can have an impact in the lives of others. You can be impacted by others. Spiritually, you can be a part of the process of discipleship. Now, for someone with gifting like mine, you may be engaged in multiple discipleship relationships because that's just gifting I have. For someone with gifting like my sister, you might be engaged in one or two that are very deep and very meaningful and very intentional. 
And that is how they are being obedient to what God has called them to. And that's awesome. (laughs) So just pray about that and think about it from the perspective of I'm called to be a Christian in a modern context. God called me to be a part of a biblical community and a fellowship and in a church body. He gave me gifting for the body, which means he wants me to use it for his glory in the local church. He called all of us to be a part of making disciples. There is a way for me to do this, for me to be obedient to what God has called me to do with my personality, with my struggles, with my family of origin, with the season I'm in, with the opportunities I have. (laughs) Okay, Mm -hmm. There's a way to be obedient. God has called you to it. He will equip you for that work. Well, and the exciting thing to me about that too is that one, our society does kind of tend to tell us that, you know, if it's uncomfortable, then you shouldn't do it. Right. Etc. Or if it's comfortable, evil. or if it's comfortable, then you should do it. Right. Um, but God's way of working is if it's something that's hard, that is something he's going to use to grow you. Yeah. And if you are incapable, he will supply the strength mm-hmm. because is it better for us just to be perfectly capable and self-sufficient and not need the Lord? <laughs> no, it is not. And so whenever you are faced with something that's hard to do and you turn to the Lord and say, I can't do this, I need your help, and you throw yourself on his mercy, he gets the glory, you grow, mm-hmm. your, your faith in him grows because you see him work. It's just a great all-around solution. Yeah. People see it and they can glorify the Lord. Yeah, like it's it's just a cool situation. So if you are feeling very inadequate, then that's a good place to be. Yes, and that the answer isn't saying, "Yes, I am adequate. Yes, I am enough. I'm in per- and I'm perfect, and you know, and I can do this on my own." So that isn't the answer because <laughs> you know we aren't. We are not enough for yeah. the life God has given us. But that's the exciting thing because He will equip and strengthen us to do what He's called us to do. Yeah. That's, that's a very good That's point. good news. <laughs> that's great news. And yeah. I think that's something we have to keep in mind because when you do start to engage in discipleship and if you start to see fruit from your endeavors, it's easy to be really excited by that. And that's okay. Like that's good to be excited. Mm-hmm. But sometimes that we can become cocky and we can yeah. start to think, oh, that's me. I did that. You know, I led this person to the Lord. <laughs> I talked to her at this key moment and she repented and all those things happened. I'm like, hey guys, that's exciting. I'm so glad that God was able to utilize you in a significant way in someone's life. Praise God for that. But we have to continuously remind ourselves that we are pipes, right? We are the conduit. God is flowing through us to accomplish the work he desires for us. And That is not something that we can take credit for. (laughs) He gave us the gifting he gave us. He gave us the personalities he gave us. He gave us the opportunities and the relationships. He puts you in someone's life at the right moment in time. Now, can you participate or choose not to participate with his work? Absolutely, right? We have free will and you can choose not to be obedient and to not participate in discipleship. You can choose to be in the flesh when you should be praying and walking in the spirit, talking to somebody about sin in their life or what you think is sin in their life. Like there are variables here, right? But I think that when when you see God really working is when you have deleted yourself from the equation. And I try to remind myself of that all the time, because especially since I'm engaged in a lot of different discipleship relationships at any given time, because again, that's my gifting and my calling. That's something that I can feel sometimes like this is how I'm built and this is what I'm made to do. And so I can take it for granted that God's going to bless my endeavors, right? And I don't spend that time in prayer and in humility seeking the Lord over what to do. Like someone, someone's having a hard time and my knee-jerk reaction is to go talk with them and to try to help them figure it out. But sometimes God wants me to just be quiet and just to pray for them, right? Because at the end of the day, I can talk to them till I'm blue in the face and I can be the most persuasive speaker and I can be so encouraging and so kind or, or so tough love or whatever. And it won't make any difference to them because the spirit is the one who moves us and who convicts mm-hmm. us and who ultimately brings repentance in our lives. You want to be cooperating with the spirit, not resisting the spirit. So there are different personalities that are going to struggle with different aspects of discipleship. For some of us, we're going to struggle to be one who speaks up and speaks the truth and love. For others, we're going to struggle to be silent and to pray for somebody because our knee-jerk reaction is to talk to them, right? And so it's just, at the end of the day, delete yourself from the equation. It's about them and their walk with God. How can you pray for them and encourage them and speak truth into their lives in ways that they're uniquely struggling? 
and be in tune with the spirit as you pursue those relationships so that you are doing what he wants you to do. And you are not in, you are not thwarting the work he wants to do in your life and theirs because you're trusting in your own ability. Like that's a pointless exercise, pointless for you and for them. (laughs) You do a lot more harm than good. A lot of times in those situations, I I'm really encouraged by us talking about discipleship because I think it is such a desperate need. I think that's why God wants us to each be engaged in it and how it can be a powerful thing to see people grow and lives change because of that intentional investment in somebody. And again, we've talked a lot about like different gifting and what that looks like and that we don't need to be afraid. I think sometimes people think of people that have my gifting as kind of the poster child for discipleship because I have the gifting of exhortation. And that's a spiritual gift of like encouragement. You're coming alongside people. A lot of times your main goal and emphasis is how can I bring them to wholeness? How can I help them take that next step spiritually? It's a very discipleship focused gift when it comes to the spiritual gifts. And I have a, I also have some gifting in teaching and in um, like counseling, I would say too, and that kind of all go hand in hand. And so people could see me and the relationships I'm invested in. They could say, I'm not Katie, you know, I don't have her gifting, so I can't do discipleship. And that's wrong. Like God has not called you to be Kate. <laughs> yes, and please, there, there are enough of us. Like, I have a big enough struggle on my one own is just enough. with me. Okay. Yeah, one's enough. But like you guys, I, I wish that I could, first of all, express to you that it's hard for all of us to be obedient to what God has called us to do. Okay, first of all, there's no easy way to serve the Lord. Okay? And yeah. I've, I've heard people say that like, oh, well, it's easy for you. No, it's not. Okay? <laughs> Loving people sacrificially hurts. Okay. It's hard. It's very hard. I have wept over people's choices. I have stayed up nights crying and praying and begging God to intercede in people's lives. I've lost sleep. I've lost meals. I've lost uh, money. I've lost time. I've lost all kinds of things, right? You And it doesn't always bear fruit. I, I could name right now, I could go down a list and tell you people's names, stories that have broken my heart, people I've loved and I've sacrificed for and I've invested in because God loved them through me and pursued them through me and others. And they chose to still reject God and to still walk away and to still live in disobedience. It breaks my heart, you guys. I've seen it. It's hard, okay? But it's it's the only way to live because you are walking in obedience to your Savior and you are doing what he called you to do and you are living out the gifting he's given you in the spirit. It's the only Mm -hmm. way to live. Like it's, it's the only joy and peace and excitement this world has is when we're walking in, in communion with the spirit and we're walking in obedience to what he's called us to. But guys, it's not easy. We aren't called to be living a life of ease. We aren't. And it's don't look at your neighbor and say, well, they have it so easy. Not if they're serving the Lord. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're going to hate you because they hate him. And that's something Jesus told us would happen. And so this is not an easy life. Like those who would live righteously in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Mm-hmm. And I have to encourage you guys that this isn't the end, right? This is as bad as it gets on earth. And then we're going to be with the Lord for eternity. And we're going to be able to be with him all the time and to worship him perfectly. This is the only opportunity we get to battle our flesh to serve him with the life and the gifting he's given us. And it's exciting, but no, it's not easy. And you are not going to get anywhere if you excuse yourself and justify your selfishness and your sin by saying, well, I'm not that person, so I can't do it. And I want to say too, I want to say too, that like there are times when other gifting in our, I've seen just in our circles in the church have been so key to someone growing spiritually. And that's why God gives us the body, right? That's why he gives us such different gifts. And scripture talks about this, like one member of the body can say to the other member of the body, like, I don't need you, right? Mm -hmm. Because we are all needed for the body to function. And I think about that all the time when I think about spiritual gifting, like we all are called to different tasks. And there have been people that have benefited from my gifting and my personality who are like 
praise the Lord, I've grown from that. And there have been people who haven't benefited from my gifting <laughs> and my personality and who have done better with other people to be partnered with in discipleship. We're we're all different. Like, you know, we have different callings. And just going through quickly some of the gifts that I've seen, even in our own family with just our sisters, I, I think it's interesting how different the four of us are because we're a lot alike, but we're very, very different. <laughs> and one of my sisters has the gift of mercy and compassion. And this gift is asking questions of like, whenever they're faced with a situation where someone's hurting or struggling, they're asking, how can I help them be known? How can I show them that like, there's someone who cares about them and and wants to understand what they're going through? And how can I care for them through that? Like, that's that gift of mercy is like, there's the kind of person that sits by you on the couch with their arm around you and they're just quiet while you cry, right? Or they just listen to you talk for hours and they're just praying for you as they're listening. Like, this is that gift and that's special. <laughs> Sometimes that gift is so needed. Mercy is such an important ability to share with somebody who's going through a really hard time and is grieving. And sometimes someone like me who has the gift of exhortation, I come in too quickly to exhort and encourage for people to take that next step spiritually when they're still in that initial acute stage of grieving. And it's appropriate for them to grieve. And I should be a friend who's just quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger, right? Like we, we hear from James, I should be someone who weeps with those who weeps. And even though my gifting is not mercy, I should still demonstrate mercy by how I interact with those who are hurting because the Bible calls for us all to exercise mercy, right? But there are some who have the specific gift of mercy and that's their heartbeat and that's how they think. And the church desperately needs people like that. And if that's you, there's a function for you in your local church to come alongside those who are hurting and to hear them and to know them and to love them. And to use your gift of mercy to show them the mercy of Christ in a unique situation. Do you have anything to add about that? Nope. Okay. Then I think next, like teaching. Another one of my sisters, her primary gifting, I think, these are what I think about their gifting, right? I don't know. They might not all agree with me on this, but they hers is teaching. And so her questions that she's asking when someone's struggling with someone is, with something is, how can I help them to understand the truth? How can I research? How can I study? How can I dig down to the facts? This She's someone who really likes to look up definitions for words, and she likes to read dusty old theological textbooks and gets really excited about that, which I think is great. <laughs> you guys probably know who this is because she's <laughs> on the other mic. So <laughs> Emily loves to dig, to get her elbow deep in truth, right? She just loves it. Yeah. And I think that's something that God uses powerfully in her life and in other people's lives when they're struggling, when they're saying, what is truth? You know, like Pilate famously said to Jesus, right? Or they're like, well, I just don't know how to study the Bible. Or I just don't feel like the Bible's applicable for my life. And then Emily can swoop in and be like, actually, did you know that in this context, this is what he's talking about. And this actually applies to our context in this way. Or this is what Jesus, this is what that word actually meant when Jesus said this. You know, like this is actually a better translation in this regard than this one is. Or did you know that when they walked, when they walked from um, wherever they were to this location, this actually would have taken them two days. And, you know, we just read it in the next verse in this part of scripture. But think about that. Like there's a lot of time passing here. You know, like people with a gift of teaching are able to speak into a situation very uniquely and they're vital for the church because they're going to call you out if you're not teaching accurately, right? <laughs> and they should do that with love, but they're going to say like, hey, actually, that's not what that passage says. Or actually, I think this might be a better translation or a better interpretation or whatever, right? And in a crisis where someone's really struggling with what the truth is, they can see that with that black and white look of like, well, this is what God's word says. So how do we apply that to this situation? And that's really important. And the church desperately needs people with a gift of teaching. Did you want to say anything about that, Emily? No, I'm just thinking. So I think that's something that like Emily and Max, her husband, they're even this weekend, like they're engaged in a relationship that some people came to their door wanting to share their faith with them. And their faith is not based on truth. It's based on a false religion and a false uh, workspace theology. And they're coming back for another visit on Saturday. And so we're praying for that. And that's something Emily and Max have both been doing is like getting back to basics in God's word and searching the scriptures for where we would differ because these people think that they have the same beliefs that we do as Christians and they don't because they don't use the Bible as their standard of truth. They add other books to the Bible 
And they trust people and feelings over what is actually what God says. And so this is an opportunity, I mean, to showcase even this week how Emily's gift of teaching is being utilized in in tandem with her husband and his gifting to minister to these people who came to their door. And the gift of teaching is important. Now, you still need to study the Bible and you still need to know what word definitions mean, right? We're all called to teach in different ways. It might just be your child or it might be your friend or whatever, but those with the spiritual gift of teaching are uniquely gifted by the spirit to be able to, this is what makes them get excited. This is what makes their heart beat is being able to get into the word and see what it says. Then I think of another sister of mine who's, their gift is evangelism. And they are just like, if there are 50 people in a room and one of them is unsaved, they are on that person like a duck on a June bug. Like they're just, <laughs> they, it's almost like if you know the Lord that you don't exist. <laughs> like it's not like that but it's almost like that you know like that the she is just that is her heartbeat is how can i help you know jesus that's the question she's asking when she encounters that person how can i help you know jesus and she will do anything to help you know the lord you know within obviously with that's right and good like she's she's going to walk 50 miles she's going to give you all her money she's going to do whatever she needs to do to help you meet Jesus. And that's her heartbeat. Now we should all be evangelizing, right? But this sister has a specific gift for that. This is what she thinks about. This is how she makes decisions. And this is the way, the way that God has equipped her through the spirit to be an essential function in the church. So you guys see like how it doesn't matter what your gifting is. If your gift is service, if your gift is to be able to teach the word or prophecy, as we would call it now, if your gift is administration or leadership, if your gift is, you know, being someone who I I don't really care what, you know, I don't, I don't really know how God's gifted me specifically, but I just want to be used. Like, I just want to be a doorkeeper in the house of God, right? Whatever your gifting is, however you're willing to, to engage with the work God's called you to, he has an essential function for you to perform in the church. He has relationships that he has gifted you specifically to speak into and to cultivate in ways that your neighbor couldn't reach that person and ways that your friend at church isn't gifted uniquely to handle. And if you are praying about that and you're analyzing your own life and your own spiritual understanding and your own rela- relationship with Christ, and you're saying, okay, God, I don't know what my gifting is, but I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to start ministering to those around me and loving them in ways I know how. And I'm going to start being more intentional in my Bible time and reading, knowing that I might be called on to teach somebody who's going through a hard time. If you're just willing to just be a vessel God can use, that's all I am. I'm just a vessel God can use. Then you're going to see him work. That's all he needs. (laughs) You don't need to have a degree. You don't need to have, you know, a seminary education. You don't need to have had all this ministry experience or to, or to have these exciting gifts that make you get out, you know, like, oh, those are the cool ones. I wish I had that gift. You have the gifts you have for a reason. And God gave them to you because you're the only one in your church that has your specific personality with your specific gifting. You're going to see needs that no one else will see. And so be praying about that, be thoughtful about it, and ultimately be yielded and be willing to step out in faith and be obedient to what God has called you to do. And that's discipleship. That's how we get engaged. That's how we find out what our spiritual gifting is. That's how we find out what relationships and what needs are out there is we just start doing it, right? Mm-hmm. With the Spirit's help and walking in the in the truth of His Word. And it's been said already, but it's worth saying again and again, but you don't have to just serve in the areas that you have gifting in. Yes. And sometimes I've heard, I've heard a, I don't know that it was a criticism, but it felt like one. Someone was talking about uh, someone's role in the church and how they're like, well, they're not really doing that right. And he's like, well, this person actually doesn't want to be doing this thing, but no one else is. So they are. Mm. And so if you have criticism against them doing that and you know how to do it better, maybe you should be working mm. and helping with that task instead of criticizing the person who is willing but doesn't yeah. want to do it. <laughs> or, <laughs> they're like, well, this isn't my gift, but it needs to be done, so I'm going to do it. You know, That attitude is precious to God, not the person who's standing by thinking, huh, they're doing that wrong. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, and I say it with love because it's like, how easy is it to fall into that? Mm-hmm. But 
it is good to just be willing and God can use up that willing heart. Uh, and he gives us the ability and, um, the strength to do things that maybe don't come naturally to us. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. But yeah. sometimes it is nice to not have to do the things that you're not gifted in because some other people are gifted in them, but they're just not doing it. So mm-hmm. I think there's a mes- message for both sides here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like consider the human body. You know, your heart pumps itself. Your heart has is mostly composed of muscle and chambers. And that muscle squeezes to push blood through your entire body. It perfuses all your organs and it brings that blood back to your lungs to get oxygenated and go right back out and perfuse it all over again. All that's happening from that cardiac tissue, that muscle of your heart squeezing and squeezing and squeezing and contracting, contracting, contracting. And it does it between 60 and 100 times a minute. Now imagine if that cardiac muscle decided it just didn't want to squeeze anymore. So we would call that a heart attack or cardiac arrest (laughs) in in medical terms, right? Your heart stopped. It just, it couldn't even, right? Yeah. But now imagine that your hands are like, you know, you can't actually reach into your thoracic cavity if you're a normal human. Some people, you know, Uh, we we won't talk about that. But like, you know, imagine (laughs) that you were able to reach into your chest cavity and squeeze your heart yourself because your heart muscle just stopped. I was like, I don't really feel like working, right? So now you have hands that are squeezing, squeezing, squeezing 60 to 100 times a minute to keep your body going. Now, can your hands do that? In our example, in our illustration, they can. In real life, <laughs> not, not easily. <laughs> and not well. I mean, that's called cardiac massage. You guys are hearing way more than you want to hear about this. But <laughs> in situations where someone's like a heart transplant or something like that, or we're doing heart surgery and the chest is open, and for those of you who are squeamish, I'm so sorry. This is probably not something you wanted to hear in this podcast, but it's all theoretical. <laughs> there are times when someone has, you know, we can't do CPR like we normally would because the chest is open, so we can't do compressions on the chest. So we do what's called cardiac massage, where you are squeezing the heart to perfuse the body. Okay. So you you can do it. It works. You can squeeze the heart to push the blood out of it into the person's body. And you can do it over and over and over and over again. But guess what? Eventually your arms and hands get tired. You can't do it indefinitely. Okay. And it's not the function of the hands and the arms to perfuse the whole body with blood. It's not our function. Our heart doesn't get tired. It beats 60 to 100 times a minute for someone's entire life. You live to be 115 and your heart's been pumping along all those years by itself without any help, without any breaks, okay? It's how God designed it and it's amazing. But if your hands were the ones responsible for pumping your heart, you would probably only live for like three hours, okay? And then you'd be done. Goodbye, Sally. Exactly. (laughs) And this is a very far-fetched, disgusting illustration of what I'm saying here. The body is... It has essential functions and God has made you to fit a specific need in your local church. And if you are not serving the way he's made you to serve, if you are not willing to step out in faith and be obedient, other people are compensating for your lack of involvement and they are not performing at their prime level because they're taken up with pumping the heart, right? They're not doing the job of the hands and the arms and all the good they can do if they were free to do that because they're doing what your job is. And the solution, as Emily was saying, is not to stand back and criticize those people. They're just, they're willing to serve and they're going to serve however God wants them to serve for as long as he gives them breath. And God honors that and God is happy and pleased with that mm-hmm. attitude. Your job is to recognize I have gifting for that, or at least I think I do. I'm interested in it. Hey, can I help you with this? And then as you gain experience and understanding and maturity in that area, maybe you'll be able to take it over for them so they can be freed up to do something that they feel more passionate Mm -hmm. about, right? It could be they're hoping that somebody will step up and do it so that they don't have to anymore. (laughs) And I have to say too, for those of you who are really engaged in, in serving, and maybe there are a lot of different things you're a part of, if you have some projects that you're just not really that excited about, but you're doing it to be faithful and to love the Lord and serve him however you're called, be praying for an opportunity to give that to someone who might be a better fit and be looking for them. Because sometimes those personalities are kind of timid. They 
don't really know how to get engaged a lot of times because they're not willing just to step out and do it and just be obedient, which you should totally just do it, okay? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Don't look for someone to do this. But if you are in a situation where you have an opportunity to pull someone in and to take them under your wing and to start showing them how to take over a project, do that. You know, bring the right people in and mentor them to take over that area so that you're freed up to do what you're passionate about and what you're excited about. This is just a small example, but we all have kind of an artistic bent in our family. And I was a studio art and design major before I went to nursing school. And I really enjoy decorating and flowers. I like to, you know, put together bouquets and I paint and I do kind of a lot of everything. And so I've been asked frequently to decorate for like showers and bridal showers, baby showers, you know, anniversary parties, birthday parties, like all kinds of stuff. And I like decorating to a certain extent. I I enjoy participating in that. But I've recognized over the years that my time can get taken up by these big projects like that, that take so much time and energy and money and resources. And really my heartbeat is relationships. It's a disciple. My heartbeat is to engage in exhortation and teaching and to be a part of some administrative and some leadership um, opportunities in our local church. And when I am spending all my time over here decorating and doing these things, I'm not doing the other things that I'm more passionate about. And as I've stepped out of some of those roles and I've said no to some opportunities to decorate and do that kind of thing, or I've... um, suggested other people who might be a better fit for someone who's looking for help. What's been neat is to see God use other people who have gifting for that and who enjoy it, step in and take over and do a better job than I would have if I was trying to hurry up and get it done while working on five other things, right? (laughs) And they just love it. And that's just a way they can serve and it's great. And I'm freed up to do other things that only I can do in the church, right? Or that I am uniquely gifted for and I'm excited about. Because at the end of the day, God can work it out, right? He doesn't need just you as far as like you're irreplaceable. No, like he's using the whole church, right? And if you need to um, step out of something or take a break from something for a season, like he's going to work those things out, right? You can trust him about those things. But we should always be serving. There Mm -hmm. are seasons where we can serve more and there are seasons where we have to serve less, But we should always be serving in the church and we should always be engaged in discipleship, no matter what that looks like. Yeah. And if you don't know what to do, ask your pastor. Yeah. Your pastor knows what you could help with. (laughs) He's probably praying for people to come and ask him that question. And if he's like, "Ah, I really don't know for sure, then go up to somebody in the church who does a lot of things and who kind of runs a lot of things and say, hey, I really want to get involved. How can I help? It is, it's a rare church where they're going to turn you away. And frankly, if your church, you're going to them and asking how you can help and there's nowhere for you to serve, that church doesn't mm, need you. I know of several <laughs> churches out West yep. that would love your help. <laughs> I know of a lot of churches, even in the Midwest, that would love your help. Like, you know, go where there are needs because yeah. if no one is able to serve because there are too many people serving, then that's a church that probably needs to become other smaller churches, right? But that's mm-hmm. like a leadership decision. But, you know, there's a church for you to go to. Find a doctrinally solid church where you can serve. There are some needs in the East as well. Yes. <laughs> Not just the Midwest. It's true. West. It's true. We have needs everywhere. But ex- my point is exhaust your resources first. You know, don't be someone who's like, well, I tried once. Yeah. Try like 50 times. And then if you consistently cannot serve, find a biblical church where you can. Because you have to serve, you guys. Mm -hmm. It is your calling. It is why God puts you on this planet, to glorify him by how you obediently engage. And that looks like in the local church through your spiritual gifts. And that looks like by discipleship and relationships he's giving you. And a multitude of other areas that you can glorify the Lord in as you are living and breathing and taking up space on this planet. He's put you here for a purpose. Yep. This is just our opening. So, <laughs> yay, episode one, opening. Intro now to, to dive into the topic <laughs> that we are <laughs> entering into today. We will get into the preparation, the groundwork for preparing for redemptive relationships and discipleship, Lord willing, next week. But just um, another resource is you're praying about spiritual gifting and asking the Lord what maybe you can do and how you can be a part of things more intentionally. Repent, first of all, if there's sin in your heart that's kept you from serving, if you're fearful, 
if you're anxious that you won't do well, or you're relying on people's view of you, or, you know, there are a multitude of reasons why maybe you got burned in the past through a ministry opportunity you were a part of or whatever. There are a lot of reasons why you might not be engaging. So repent of those things and give them to the Lord and trust him and mm-hmm. ask him to work out the details of you serving and for him to give you wisdom about how to get involved and how to engage. Yeah. And then um, Chip Ingram actually has a really good sermon series on finding your spiritual gifting. And Chip Ingram, he's a pastor I've mentioned before on the podcast. Chip, I mean, I can't, I just love that man. Like he teaches so helpfully for me because he's a very practical application pastor. And I really enjoy that and I really appreciate it. I know not everyone is like, yay for that kind of thing, but it really helps me. You know, I wouldn't agree with every single conclusion he makes in this series, Your Divine Design, about spiritual gifting. We would differ a little bit doctrinally on some things, but they're not big things. Like they're Mm -hmm. just little things. And I can't recommend this series enough because the way he talks about spiritual gifting, the way he views the three different passages that mainly deal with spiritual gifting and their Greek word roots and how he kind of sees this being used in the local church and how he encourages your growth and your engagement with that is so extremely helpful. So if you're struggling to know how you can serve, if you're afraid, if you're just not sure how you're wired, this series is a very good series for you to listen to and to take notes and to print his notes and write as he's explaining things so you can see what he's talking about on paper. It's extremely helpful. So I will link this series in our um, podcast notes but it's Chip Ingram, Your Divine Design. And it's on YouTube if you just want to look it up without having to look for this message notes. But um, very helpful resource as you're preparing for Lord willing next week when we start laying the groundwork for redemptive relationships on the podcast. Emily, anything else you want to add? Mm, I don't think so. I think we covered it. (laughs) Covered it all. Well, we are so thankful for you guys, and we were praying for you right before we started recording, just like we do every day, and we're praying for just God to use this to help you, encourage you, engage you in the work He's called you to, and that ultimately it will glorify the Lord by how you receive His Word and are obedient to it and continue growing stronger and closer in your walk with Him. And so we love you, ladies, and Lord willing, we'll be back with you next week. Talk to you then. (laughs) Bye now. Bye. (laughs)